G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. But a wonderful opportunity today to turn our attention to the nation with the largest Christian population in the continent of Africa. You might be amazed that there are an estimated 80 million Christians in the nation of Nigeria. It's a real privilege today to be able to welcome an Australian couple, a young couple, John and Kay Hodge, who have family history in Christian mission in Nigeria. John and Kay Hodge are a part of Christian Faith Ministries in Jos, Plateau State, situated between Christian and Muslim outer suburbs, where nomadic Fulani tribes are often a problem for all, and where Boko Haram are nearby and often causing trouble. So to John and to Kay Hodge, let me say a special welcome along to 2020. John. Thank you. It's good and to be Kay. here. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with uh, a conversation today uh, just around, uh, we'll get into family history in just a few moments, but uh, I know that there are those who might respond on our Facebook page uh, where I've got a, a bit of a post, a question there about Christians working in dangerous situations. Uh, give us a little insight here, John, because you're familiar with this. You've grown up there on the mission field in Nigeria. Uh, just how dangerous is it around your neck of the woods? Yeah, Nigeria is a, a country that's been through a lot of crisis in recent years, um, and there's there's a lot of things going on. Uh, so where we are, as you mentioned, there's a lot of conflict with these Fulani herdsmen, and there's also conflict with um, like a lot of tribal conflicts. Africa is a place with many, many, many tribes, and often they have disagreements about many things, and you know land disagreements, and it can a lot of these issues can sort of lie under the surface, and they can be sparked by by many things. Uh, when we talk Fulani herdsmen and when we talk Boko Haram, these are groups that have uh, Muslim foundations. They're Islamic groups. And uh, in my estimation, they're very prone to uh, those flashpoints where violence can break out easily. Uh, have you seen this sort of thing happen over the years? Yeah, definitely. Um, yes, with the Fulani herdsmen and Boko Haram, they do both come from, they have Islamic foundations, really. Um, um, sometimes it, it gets a little bit simplified in that way. Um, there's, there's a lot going on in these issues. A lot of people would accuse the Fulani of being on a jihad. Um, but it, it's often more about land conflicts and, and tribal conflicts that go back a long time, a long time before Christianity was even in the country. So are those groups aligned with one another or are they sort of on different sides? They, you know, sometimes we talk about the Sunnis and the Shias. Are they divided by that division within Islam? Um, no, I think they're, they're of the same um, background in Islam. But it's not like take the Fulani, for example. They're nomadic people and they're famously not very well educated. 
Um, they school is not high priority, and they a lot of them wouldn't know much about their Islamic faith at all. Um, and a lot of the time, when when violence kicks off, it's actually got a lot more to do with um, with making a living for themselves. They're nomadic herdsmen, and they're trying to find um, the grazing ground for their cattle. And the desert in the north is encroaching more and more, and so they're being pushed more and more south. And and that often leads to a lot of violence amongst settled people who, in our area, are traditionally Christian. And if we're getting our geography right, you've got Nigeria there in the centre of Africa. And it's one of these situations where it's a, a dividing line through Nigeria where you've really got a primary Muslim population to the north and you've got the Christian population to the south. Now, where you are in Jos is along that dividing line. So if there's going to be a flashpoint pressure and violence, it happens in your neck of the woods. Yeah, it does. It does, yes. <laughs> and I know that there are churches there in that vicinity that have to take special precautions uh, whenever they have a meeting. What sort of precautions do churches need to take to protect themselves? Um, if they're in a busy suburb, they might block off uh, the road. So cars, because often cars with bombs in them are a problem, so you can't drive through those streets during church service times. That's a common precaution. Yeah. We're going to get into some more of this and what it is to be involved in Christian mission in places that are particularly dangerous. And, John, you've grown up there, and in some sense this is second nature to you. It's a little bit different perhaps for us in our Aussie experience where we're not used to that sort of violence. But let's just change tack for a few moments and come to Kay because, Kay, you and John married only just a, really a few years now. You're just a young couple. <laughs> And it was John who came back to Australia, and that's where you met and fell in love. Let's go with the love story. Okay. Um, yeah, well, we met in 2010. We married in 2013. So we've been married for over six years now. Um, and we met when I was in my final year of school. I'm born and raised in um, a Christian pastor's household in Newcastle. And John happened to be uh, on a trip with his mum and brother at the time, and they were going around to different churches that support that support the work. And we happened to be a church that supports their work. And uh, I, I rocked up at the end of a church service and heard a little bit about what was happening, but I, I didn't really hear the full message. And so we met over the table, the missions table they had set up at the back of the church. And, uh, and I... And I have always, I guess, had a sense in myself a call to missions. And I was, um, I was struck by meeting a young guy who he looked a bit of all right, but um, he also, um, you know, had a real heart that I felt like I shared. And uh, that was the start of our um, friendship, and then eventual relationship. We got engaged, we got married, and yeah. Isn't that exciting to know that you have already this sort of call to missions and as a young single woman, you know when you meet Mr. Wright, he's also going to have that calling to missions as well. But did you think that it might be to a very dangerous place uh, like Jos in Plateau State in Nigeria that you might actually end up? It took a few years for me to realise that. Um, probably longer than it should have because knowing, you know, Kent and Ruth as a missionary family through our church probably should have had some earlier cue, like clues. But um, 
we weren't sure. We didn't know where God would take us, you know. Um, and when we did first go out in 2016, um, we we thought we'll just we'll we'll try this for five or six months, and then you know we'll learn some things from mum and dad, um, and we'll see. You know, then we'll go off on our own. Um, and that hasn't been the case. We've actually uh, been very struck and challenged and inspired by the work of. Ken and Ruth, John's mum and dad, and the team around them that they've built up over many years. And we've ended up staying there for longer and we see ourselves in missions there for, for yeah, for a significant time. Wow. <laughs> and some people might be saying, well, just how dangerous is it in Jos in Plateau State? Well, it was back to 2009, 2010 that that very, very famous uh, infamous, I might say, massacre occurred. And uh, as I understand the numbers, 992 were killed in an outbreak of violence in Jos. And uh, that massacre, mostly Christians, uh, killed by Muslims. Uh, when you say, John, it's complicated, perhaps out of that 992, there were some Christians fighting back. Uh, how does it work when you've got these sorts of, you know, flashpoints that happen and there's an attack? And I might, uh, you know, I might speculate coming from the Muslim side, but then is there retaliation? How does it all work when you're actually on the ground and this violence is happening? Yeah, absolutely. Um I guess to to really answer that, you have to um, you have to look at what's going on with um, religion and the and the tribal sphere. Um, like for example, a lot of people would call themselves Christian, but what it boils down to is many years ago, their the chief of their tribe decided to become Christian. And um, it's interesting when you look at where we are, Joss. It's on a plateau, and for for many many years. These tribal people had resisted the push of Islam from the north, um, and they did it. There are a number of tribes doing this, and they also had disputes among themselves. So when Christianity came up from the south, they saw it as something that might unite them as tribes against the push of Islam from the north. And so a lot of tribal chiefs would have said that we, we are Christian. And so now it becomes a thing that the tribes identify themselves with almost as a way of saying we're not Islamic. And so when violence starts to kick off in these areas, there's not a lot of understanding about who Jesus was and the response Jesus calls us to. And it's a big shame because a lot of the youth, they're, they're youth, and a lot of the time they're not educated. A lot Nigeria has a huge youth problem um, in terms of like 60% of the 200 million people living in Nigeria youth. And the, the school system hasn't kept up with that. There are no job opportunities. So there's a lot of youth on the streets that when they when they learn about violence is taking place in the community and the people they know and love are under threat, they can very quickly respond to that. And so the killing you get often when it reaches this point of crisis is Muslim youth against Christian youth. And often it, there is a lot of retaliation from Christians who don't really understand what it means to follow Christ. And what a wonderful time to introduce one of the wonderful things that Christian Faith Ministries is involved in. Because when there is rumour or when there's some sort of activity that is leading to a flashpoint where violence is about to break out, Christian Faith Ministries is in the mix and helping to create peace between two potentially warring sides. How does that look in practice when you're on the ground, John? Yeah, I think it, it, looks, um, it looks like providing opportunities, education opportunities for these youth who, who have nothing. 
um, whether they be Islamic youth or Christian youth. Um, so one project that's really had a lot of success from CFM is we've started establishing computer training centers um, on the boundaries of Christian and Muslim suburbs. Um, and often that's that's the case. Muslims will live exclusively in one suburb and Christians exclusively in another. We've tried to set up computer training centers in these areas for youth, and we've said we're having 50% intake from Christian youth, 50% intake from, from Muslim youth. And it's it's helping us to establish good relationships with these Muslim communities, with the Muslim elders. And it's in those regions we've where we have computer centers, we've seen a, a massive decline in violence. So it's not just about shaking hands and making friends. It's actually about doing something practical. And as you say, you're setting up some computer training areas and inviting uh, the youth from both sides. And when the youth from both sides come together, they get an opportunity to befriend one another. And so when the idea of a flashpoint might come, you've got some You've got some capital. You've got something that you've been working with. Uh, you've got some good works that have helped to actually develop uh, this opportunity for creating some peaceful environment. Yeah, absolutely. We've had many, many stories. Um, uh, for example, we, we run a, a center for persecuted converts. So someone who is from an Islamic faith and converts and their life is under threat. We run a refuge. We normally have about 50 of these uh, normally young men between the age of 18 and 30. Um, and one of them was was um, studying with us and he must have got into a dispute with one of his lecturers because um, he was under discipline. I think he was cleaning the toilets and he got to a point where he, he had had enough of this discipline. <laughs> so he, yeah. he ran away and he, he went to one of these nearby Muslim communities and he he started to tell the the Muslim youth that this is what that he's in this Christian place and these Christians are, are, are effectively torturing him and forcing him to convert. And he stirred up some trouble amongst the the youth, and they were about to to you know act on on all the all the rage that had built up. And the Muslim elders in that community got wind of what was happening, and they took these Muslim youth down to the police station, and they said, "Whatever happens here, you've got to know." that the things they're saying about this organization, CFM, are complete lies because we know this organization has only done good things to us. They have shown us love when no one else has. Mm -hmm. And so whatever they do, they're on their own. This is not the expression that our Muslim community wants to show. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. A wonderful privilege today, a couple of young missionaries who are in a very dangerous situation and and their mission activity in Jos, Plateau State, in the nation of Nigeria. And significant things happen in their town. And uh, you might like to join in our conversation. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Uh, you can also leave a note, a comment or a question on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Uh, John and Kay, our guests, I want to just uh, reflect a few moments. And Kay, I think you are the articulator of family history here. Uh, give us a little insight into, uh, well, it's John's mum and dad, yeah. but they went to Nigeria 30 years ago. Uh, and what an incredible story they have. Yes. Um, Ken and Ruth, my parents-in-law, they read a book back in, I think, the early 80s or mid-80s um, by um, Benson Idahosa who was an evangelist in the south of Nigeria, and they just had a, a growing sense of call to missions. They 
went independently. They had a three-month-old baby, uh, which is John's eldest sister, Esther. At the time, uh, they basically gave away all their money on the trip over there. Um, they had been in Bible college the year before, so they didn't have much. Uh, and uh, they arrived on the doorstep of, of Benson's ministry and said, we're here to serve. And uh, this is, yeah, what, 35 years ago. And uh, they said, we don't have anything for you to do. Why don't you go back? And uh, and so they were like, we don't have a way to, to go back. There's no, we've, we've given everything away to be here. Um, and uh, Benson actually, as the story goes, formed a real love for Ken and Ruth and, and considered them to be children in the faith. And he mentored them and discipled them for many years. And Ken and Ruth worked faithfully for in that ministry, All Nations, which is a big Bible college and big missions sending organization down in the south in um in Benin city oh, sorry in Benin uh and then uh in 2007 after many years a few many years after Benson had passed away uh Ken and Ruth had continued to work for um for them in the south but they felt a growing sense of of calling to the predominantly unreached parts of Nigeria, which, as you've said earlier, um, mainly situated in the northern states of Nigeria. And so they, after many, many times of prayer, they they actually took a small team of seven um, who they'd built around them at seven indigenous staff, and they planted what is now um, the Christian Faith Institute in Jos, um, yeah, in Plateau State. And it started as a small Bible school and from 2000 and 2007 through to 2010, um, it started to grow gradually, meeting many, bringing many people in who were grassroots from the northern states who were out, at, were without an education, who maybe had come to faith in Jesus through a dream, you know, many who had, had, um, had direct Holy Spirit inspiration that had brought them into the faith and wanted to hear more. Um, and slowly, slowly it started to um, get more and more people coming through it and graduating from Christian Faith Institute. Um, 2010 is when a lot of the violence started to kick off in Joss. Um, and then in 2014, the ministry actually uh, experienced the loss of its provost, so Kent's like 2IC, uh, who died in an ambush, a Fulani um, attack on the road. Um, and it, and the ministry started to go through this real time of how do we resto- respond in a Christ-like way to what's happened? You know, is retaliating the right answer? Um, how does our theology or the things that we teach in this Bible school, how does that inform the response? And, uh, and what do we need to do in this time to respond to what's happened? Um, and so that really started... CFM as it is today. We have now more than 20 ministry arms and we employ more than 230 Indigenous staff. Um, and John, myself, Ken and Ruth are the only non-Indigenous volunteers for the ministry. It is an absolutely wonderful story to hear of the way a young missionary couple develops and into these levels of maturity and while they're there just to help as you say uh, 30 years ago when they arrived Kent and Ruth mm. uh, to a point where they've formed you know Christian faith ministries yeah. and dealing with all of these difficult situations of how do we respond when there is violence and that growth is just amazing just to pick up on Benson Ida Hosa for a few moments um, a famous 
African evangelist. And the only story I know about him, and uh, you might be able to confirm this and you might have other stories, John, but uh, I did hear of one very incredible miracle that happened when a person who had died was delivered to him on stage with the idea that he is the evangelist, perhaps he will lay hands and something miraculous will happen. Well, apparently, and, uh, and I, I, I know some people think this is disrespectful, but uh, this particular story I heard was that he'd picked up the body and begun to dance with the body and life returned to the body. Have you heard that story? Is that the sort of miracle that uh, that followed his ministry? Yeah, yeah, I have heard that story. <laughs> and, yeah, we were, yeah, we we he was a sort of father in the faith to us, almost like a, a granddad. We'd often go around to his house for lunch and things like that. And yeah, that, those sorts of things were commonplace in his ministry. He was a, a larger than life, charismatic character, and he he led tremendous revival in the south of Nigeria in those days. It was it was incredible. So a lot of the revival that we hear about in Nigeria, it comes back to, uh, no, no, no doubt there were plenty of other evangelists, but Benson Idahosa had a major role in bringing revival in Nigeria. Yeah, he did. You can, you can call the name Benson Idahosa in, in any corner of Nigeria and people know exactly who you're talking about. Okay, we're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. You might like to join our conversation today. You can also leave a note on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Let's take some calls. Mel is on the line from Brisbane. Hi, Mel. Welcome. Uh, good morning um, and good morning, listeners. Uh, two points I'd like to make. There is a ecumenical peace action evening coming up in Brisbane on Wednesday the 7th of August at 5.20pm at the Brisbane City Hall. And uh, this is bringing together all um, different uh, faith groups and an opportunity um, to really look at some um, practical ways to um, address what is happening around um, you know, violence and persecution of um, faith groups, particularly Christian groups. So I'd encourage people to uh, look that up. And the second point is that I would continue to encourage churches and Christian charity groups to offer um, prayer request lines or prayer request boxes, um, prayer telephone lines, because we know we know of the power of prayer um, can really make transformational difference um, in our communities. So I would continue um, all of us to um, offer that type of. Um, service. Well, Mel, great to hear those points. And uh, for those who are in wanting to become involved in support for the persecuted church, sounds like a great local initiative for people to become involved in. And yes, for churches to be become uh, active in all sorts of areas, violence that might be happening within our own community. And of course, as we're talking about the violence on our conversation today, uh, those things that happen in other parts of the world make our sort of violence pale into a little significance, uh, not that it is insignificant uh, completely. But Mel, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Let's hear from Sam in Inverell in New South Wales. Hi, Sam. Welcome. Hi. Sam. My name is Sam. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. What are your thoughts for our conversation? Yeah, um, I just want to make a little contribution. Coincidentally, I'm also from Nigeria. Wonderful. And, um, it amuses, amuses me when you try to pronounce J 
jaws. Um, and you say jaws, but it's okay. And I actually want to commend um, John and the wife for what they are doing. I have an idea of how the persecution goes on in that part, although I'm in Lagos, but I've also traveled a little far and wide in um, Nigeria, and I know what it is like. And um, it takes so much courage and consecration to be able to desire to be in that environment. Um, I will just want to encourage them, and I would like to also ask if one wants to um, make contribution um, to support their ministry, how would one go about it? Okay, well, I'll be giving a website in just a short while as to how you can support, pray, contribute to what is a wonderful ministry that's going on in, let me get my pronunciation right, Joss. I'll yes, try and correct, stop saying Joss, but uh, I'll yes. accept your correction. Thank you so much, Sam. Uh, Christian Faith Ministries is the name of the ministry. Uh, John, what's your, resport, uh, support, what's your response to Sam? Because uh, he knows what it's like in your part of the world. Yeah, I really appreciate that from you, Sam. We, yeah, we appreciate the encouragement. Um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult part of the world to be in. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we have faith in a God who, who renews. And it's, it's, it's that faith that I guess we've in many ways caught from my parents and a lot of the, not just the parents, but the indigenous staff there. When a lot of this violence was kicking off, it, it was very tempting for a lot of Nigerians and us to move away. Uh, John and Kay, our guests this hour. Uh, let me come to Kay for a few moments here. Kay, because uh, you decided with John to move to Jos in Nigeria mm. with all of the violence that had been going on, and but knowing that John had this family history there. Uh, but you and John decided to go to Jos in Nigeria with an eight-week-old baby. Tell us a little of that story because uh, people will say, oh, you know, when the time is right, I'd go to do something in mission, but I'm not sure I'd go to somewhere dangerous like that. But here you were, a young mother with an eight-week-old baby. Give us some insights. Well, I actually, we actually had gone to Joss and um, been part of CFM before. We had our little boy. His name's Abraham, and he just turned one last week. Um, and then I was pregnant um, during one of our longer stints in Nigeria. Um, yeah, we just, I, I think after we'd been there for five or six months, we were absolutely overwhelmed, um, and, and impressed by what was happening through CFM. And we felt that God had us there for the longer term. And, and out of that, there was a sense of we can grow our family here. Um, and yeah, it is, it's not, there are a lot, lot of risks there. You know, you can't get around that. There are a lot of physical risks. Um, but I have this sense that if we as his parents or the parents of our children don't act on what we think God would have us to do and we make a safe choice, then we're not doing the best by him either. You know, we're not really genuinely representing God as he has revealed himself in our life and in our, in our, yeah, in our journey of life. And so in a funny kind of way, him experiencing us expressing our faith in where we feel God's called us is the best place he can be, you know. <laughs> and it's why we can honour a young couple like yourselves because you didn't wait for the right time and you no. didn't wait till you felt ready. You responded to God's call and you moved to Jos in Nigeria. And, of course, this, in some sense, 
not saying it completely mirrors, but your own parents. And when you came along, John, because this was something that as missionaries, your parents, well, they were prepared to start a family and do all of those things that we all might do, but uh, they weren't going to wait either. They were going to be working in mission while they were doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and having that model to me with my parents has been such a significant thing in my life because I definitely walked away from that when I was in my teenage years and I was a little bit embarrassed of my family background. And um, I got to a point where it, the life I was trying to lead was in such stark contrast to the sacrifices and the, the purpose that my parents are living, living for. And it, it really helped me to make a bold decision in that way. Wow, you are opening up something very significant here because when you are the child of missionary parents, when you say, at one point in my life as a teenager, I was embarrassed that my parents were missionaries, Mm -hmm. uh, that certainly has changed now. And you recognize that what they were holding, the values, the virtues that they lived by, uh, these were absolutely much, much higher than anything else you could aspire to. Yeah, absolutely. I was um, at the time I was studying law, and I wanted to to have a legal career. And there are plenty of good reasons to study law and have a, a career where you can help a lot of people. But for me, it was it was very selfish when I really came to terms with it. I wanted a lot of financial security because I didn't have that growing up. And um, yeah, and it, it got to a point where I was going to different law firms trying to work out where maybe I wanted to apply to work and talking to people who are a few years in front of me in the process and asking them why they do what they do. And the reasons they gave were, I'm going to do this for you know a few years till I have enough money, and then I might retire early to the south of France somewhere. And I was thinking, that's not the that's not the life my parents have modelled to me. Like, where's the purpose in that? And um, yeah, it led me to to really consider, and it, it led me to back to the Bible and trying to read what it meant to have a Christian faith. Yeah. And your parents, special honour th- to them, Kent and Ruth, because they arrived in Joss 30 years ago and they are still functioning in these days as the visionary leaders over the ministry. Uh, give us a little idea what they do on a day-to-day and what sort of you know eldership, leadership they provide for the ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my dad's been working, since they arrived in Nigeria, they've been working with uh, an indigenous Bible college, training um, people from grassroots backgrounds, giving them theological training so they can become missionaries and pastors. And that's really their heart, and that has been their heart over the last 30 years. And so my dad, is he writes a lot of theology. He writes a lot of the curriculum for the Bible college. And in many ways, he's shaping the, the, the Christ, the peacemaking response to a lot of the crisis going on in that part of the world. And he's training up these indigenous leaders in Nigeria, and they're planting churches. I mentioned in the introduction there's 80 million Christians in Nigeria. Now, that can be a little bit deceptive because, as you mentioned a little earlier, sometimes people identify as Christian because they want to be separated from being Muslim. So when you're talking about church planting opportunities, what does evangelism and, and growing churches look like in Nigeria? Because obviously people who, I, who say, I am Christian, they may not necessarily have a relational, uh, heartfelt God experience, but this is the sort of person, no doubt, you're reaching out to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, there's a common um, picture, a mile wide and an inch deep, and, and that's often the Christianity that we find a lot in that in that part of Nigeria. A lot of people have, they call themselves Christians, but they don't know what it means to follow Christ. And so often church planting and evangelism, um, often the major work there is is discipleship. 
helping people understand who Jesus was and and how we can follow him. So it can be very easy to plant a church. You can <laughs> go to a, a suburb where there isn't a church, but people call themselves Christian, and it, you can plant a church and have 200 people come fairly quickly. Um, so it's it's we really try and focus on the discipleship, what it means to follow Christ. Well, that's absolutely astounding too, because for listeners uh, thinking of the church situation in Australia and sometimes uh, difficulty uh, getting people who are committed to come into church life. But when you say you can start a church, uh, in other words, put a shingle over the door and all of a sudden you'll have 200 people turning up for church. That doesn't mean that they're mature Christians, uh, but they are identifying with Christ and they are in need of levels of discipleship because from my understanding in Nigeria, these are some of the large churches uh, that you find anywhere in the world. So you've got really huge churches that are, are planted throughout Nigeria. Give us a little idea about the sort of churches and the sizes of churches that you've seen. Yeah, um, we're not too far away from Nigeria's capital, Abuja, and you, I think you have some of the, the biggest churches in the world in that, in that region. And these are churches that meet in stadiums yeah, and right. uh, the people go out and then another set comes in and they have multiple church services. Uh, I've even heard of, and I'm just reflecting just from memory now, uh, just reflecting a story just recently where uh, where whole communities, whole towns are formed because of the size of churches. Uh, just give us a little insight here because this is so new to a lot of Australians in our thinking about churches, but whole churches... Churches that have communities and towns formed around them, that's how big the churches are. Yeah, I think what they might be talking about there is Abuja is quite a rapidly growing city. And the, recently this year, there's, I think, the biggest church, biggest building used exclusively as a church building has been has been built in Abuja there. And it is bringing a lot of people in from from the more of the rural areas. And it's, it's on the edge of the capital. And so I, I would imagine communities are being developed out of that. And so in the churches that have been planted out of the work uh, in the Christian faith ministries, uh, you've got those churches, some of those have grown large as well. Yeah, yeah, they've grown large. Um, probably not to, to those to those. Um, not not the sort of mega, <laughs> mega church idea, but, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, we're talking substantial churches where yeah. discipleship is happening in a very distinct way. Yeah, um, it, and it's a difficult part. It's 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 church in Nigeria is going through a difficult time as well at the moment. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of teaching prosperity type teaching and it, and um and often when you see the large crowds that's what it's about. Um, it's uh, it's it's a good there's a lot of good going on in that space, but we try and really focus on on following Christ and how we respond to to Muslims and and to pagans uh, around us in a peacemaking way. And interestingly, isn't it, we don't throw out the idea that God is interested in the prosperity of his people, but when that becomes the major focus, then you're way off track from what we'd understand about a biblical discipleship. So you've got this focus which is on a biblical discipleship, and no doubt people are exposed to what's happening with a prosperity message. And as I say, not all of the prosperity message is wrong, but when it gets uh, when it becomes the overall focus, uh, then you do have some 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 troubles there don't you yeah yeah i would agree i think it's um when prosperity can get uh, that teaching can get too far away from the bible and it becomes a lot a lot very individualized like it's all about me and what god's going to do for me and that is we've seen a real danger in that mm. leaving behind okay god also loves the muslim man 
and the the Muslim children who've never had an opportunity for education. And we need to know what the Bible says about that. That God's not just looking to bless me and looking for my personal wealth, but He wants us to grow as a community together. He wants me to to reach out to these people and to show the same love that He showed in Christ. So, John, you're working in training missions and administration. Uh, you've got satellite mission stations. You've got sending centers uh, around your area there in Jos. Uh, Kay, let me come to you because you've got a role to play too, and uh, it's a support and oversight role, but you're interested in keeping things uh, functioning, keeping things happening, uh, issues like policies and training and codes of conduct. Uh, that's an important role to play. Uh, yeah, so I think John and I, we work in different spaces. There are many different arms of the ministry, but we have more or less a similar role. We feel that we can support the local leaders, you know, and the local managers over different um, arms of the ministry. But we can add something that maybe um, people from from where they're from don't have access to. Like we have access to a whole range of resources that people there might never have heard of or seen before. We also have a lot of um, international partners, you know, who are funding partners and prayer partners as well. And with that comes accountability and responsibility. And so we have to make sure we hold all these or juggle all these balls um, at once. And so a big part of our role is working alongside people on the ground who have way more cultural knowledge and understanding than we'll ever be able to have um, to make it appropriate and responsive to the needs of of the Nigerian community, Um, but also making sure we marry that with what the needs are from like becoming a more global world and making sure we tick all the boxes. (laughs) Well, you're a part of what makes the backbone of how any mission organisation will flourish. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll come back to you shortly because no doubt in your fundraising role, because you wear a fundraising hat as well, uh, you'll be interested to make some new friends here in Australia. So we'll come back (laughs) to that in just a few moments. But let me talk about the fruit of the sort of ministry that you're involved in. A dangerous part of Nigeria in Jos, and uh, you're reaching out and you've got this sort of uh, reach into the Muslim communities, the reach into the Christian communities. Uh, let me ask you about some of the fruit here because there's been converts from uh, some of these groups like the Fulani herdsmen. Uh, give us a, a little insight here into what happens when someone from the other side, in that sense, responds to the gospel message and they come to Christ. Uh, what happens in that situation, John? Yeah, so I work with, um, like you said, the mission department, which has these satellite mission station, church planting arms in more of the rural areas in the north. And um, someone we came across um, was this lovely man called Owalu, and he's coming from a Fulani background. And we got to we got to know him because... Um, he grew up as a Fulani herdsman in a in a very um, rural community, and his job was to to herd cattle. And he grew up in this in this community, and um, he was herding cattle. And he kept having dreams. And in his dreams, the Prophet Isa, which is Muslim for Jesus, would appear in his dreams, and it it kept happening. So he was very curious as to who this Isa was. Isa told him to follow him, and so as they were herding their cattle, he would try and stop off in different towns and villages to try and track down a pastor to ask who who is this Jesus. And it was actually a while before he found a pastor because some pastors would be suspicious of these Fulani people. But eventually he found one, and this pastor happened to be connected to one of our stations. And, and he ended up coming to where we're headquartered in Jos, and he did a year's discipleship. Um, and so he, he came under some of the, the training of the college, and 
And um, I, I get, got talking to him as he was around, and, and we, we built a good friendship. And when he finished the discipleship program, we would often sit down and talk about what he wanted to, to do next. Now, when he made the decision to convert from his Fulani background to being a Christian, it was a very difficult decision to make. Um, and at the time when he did it, he didn't know this would, would happen, but his, his people killed his wife and children. Mm. He had two wives and two children. And um, so now after he's converted and has been through this year's discipleship, I'm talking to him and asking him, what is it that we can help him to do next? What's, what does he think God has for him for the future? And, and he told us, he told me that um, he actually wants to go back to his people to take the gospel. Wow. And that was, that, was, that was confusing for me because these people had done so much wrong to him. And yet he said, my people, you have to understand all we know is violence. When someone does something to you, you retaliate. That's what you do. He said, but when I came across this Jesus, I learned a different response. The way he treated people, the forgiveness he gave them. And he said, this is changing our world. This mm-hmm. different response is changing our world. And I want to go back and teach my people this response. These people are the true heroes of faith because nothing nothing else matters other than reaching out to their own people and no matter what the situation. So uh, his people had killed his two wives and his children and with his short time of discipleship having had a conversion to Christ when he had had that vision in a dream uh, wants to go back to his own people so do you know if he's pursued that is he back yes. in he's now he's back with the Fulani herdsmen and yes. as a Christian functioning with them he's seen more than a hundred of his fellow Fulani people convert to be Christian wow and is planting churches in a part of Nigeria that not even the military or police would dare to enter so it's having an, an incredible effect in that and undoubtedly, there'll be opportunity for him in the times to come to be able to be a trainer of those who are wanting to be ministers to the Fulani herdsmen so that they can know how to conduct themselves when they take the gospel back into their settings. That's the way mission works. It's sort of compounding the numbers. Just very exciting. It is, yeah. We hope to, to – we always want to learn a lot more about what's going on with the Fulani people and – and he's such a such a resource in that way. Okay, let me come back to Kay. Time's running out, Kay. Uh, <laughs> the Christian Faith Ministries, you've got care organizations, you're running schools, you have a clinic that helps people who can't pay for medical support. Poverty is an issue clearly in so many different places in Africa. Yeah. Uh, the way that the ministry functions, clearly you have friends and no doubt there's friends in different countries around the world. Uh, but what would you hope to happen with Australians? You know, you're <laughs> undoubtedly with your smile, uh, friends will come left, right and centre. But uh, <laughs> there's a certain sense in which you'd like people to support the Christian Faith Ministries, how can they do that? Definitely. I mean, it's not just from Australia. We have local um, fundraising efforts as well, and we have friends in Europe and in the UK as well, and we definitely feel like we are growing partners all over the world in in, the, in what we're doing and also the message of CFM and the message of Ken and Ruth. Um, if you would like to support us prayerfully and financially, um, I would encourage you to head over to our website, which is Ministries. that's the letter C, dot uh, org slash support. That's cfaithministries.org 
forward slash support. And that way, if you'd like to give to CFM as a ministry, you can head over there and do that. Now there's some giving options. Uh, if you're interested in supporting us personally, you are welcome to send me an email. My email is kkay at cfaithministries.org, kkay at cfaithministries.org. Org. I would also like to let you know that Kent and Ruth, uh, my parents-in-law, are going to be in Australia from the middle of September through towards the end of November. If you have a group or um, a church group or a, um, a Christian group of some kind who you would love to have them you know, come and meet with, you are welcome to also send me an email and let me know um, so that we can potentially book in some time when they're here. Well, we might have to see what we can do to lock in Kent and Ruth when they do come to Australia because they've no doubt got some stories to tell that as uh, their children you might not be so familiar with but uh, certainly look forward to that sort of opportunity. Just before we... I'll give those uh, those addresses again for people to support but the extent of the humanitarian need... In Jos, in Nigeria, uh, it is significant, and the work you're doing is significant. I know listeners will be able to hear that, but just how significant is the the poverty and uh, the uh, issues around the medical clinics? Uh, how significant is it the the humanitarian need around your area, John? Yeah, it's 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 everywhere. Um, and like, like Nigeria doesn't have the hospital and the education system that a country like Australia has. And so if you can't afford medical care, you would try and rely on your family. And if they can't help you, and you've got to understand a lot of families would be broken and divided through the violence here. Um, so often people don't have anywhere to go. And so as a Christian organization who try to be Christ to people, that's, that's what we try and offer. Well, I know that some listeners uh, get some level of a cue from God to support various ministries when I'm mm-hmm. talking to people on this program. And I want to give those addresses, too, for uh, listeners who might like to, uh, first of all, just find out some more about this particular ministry we're talking about today. And Of course, we're talking about Christian Faith Ministries. John and Kay Hodge are a part of Christian Faith Ministries in Jos, in Plateau State, in Nigeria. And the website, uh, for those who want to connect and find out some more about what happens with Christian Faith Ministries, see faithministries.org and there is a uh, forward slash support uh, for you to be able to support there in whatever way you're able Uh, you can also as Kay said support uh, her and her husband John and there is an email address Kay at cfaithministries.org for those that might like to really get behind John and Kay in their work Uh, just great getting some insights from the two of you God's richest blessing on both of you as you, you continue. And, and you know, you're a young couple. Uh, you have a one-year-old, and no doubt you'll be expecting to expand your family too. But as we heard earlier on, you've got a vision to continue in mission in what is a family tradition uh, in one very dangerous place, and that is Jos in Plateau State in Nigeria. To you, John, and to you, Kay, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. 
Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.